0: Welcome to the first episode of the Nick the Husband podcast. Today's guest, we dive right in and get to know Mark and his story. Stick around, it's for sure to be a great conversation. Mark, how are you, my man? Good, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for being the first guest of the Nick the Husband podcast. Uh,
1: thanks for having me. It's an honor.
0: Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you uh, What do you do?
1: Well, I'm an eighth grade English teacher um, in Charlotte. Um, married, got two kids, and uh, yeah, I'm just, I think I'm an all around good guy. I guess you're
0: living the life and. Uh being an English teacher, that's got to be have its ups and downs, I'm sure, especially in today's society where you know we see all of the uh, the teachers protesting and stuff. Well, how, how do you feel about something like that?
1: I Man, it's uh, it's tough. You know, I think that I mean, kudos to uh, the teachers for doing it the right way. I, I think that it's truly an undervalued profession. Um, and then dealing with 13, 14, 15 year olds, it's incredibly tough. Um, I teach at a um, a school where uh, socioeconomic, socioeconomic status is um. It's uh, lower than, than some. Um, I look at it as a challenge, not as a barrier. Um, so it's a tough job, but uh, I'm happy to do it.
0: Well, that's cool, that's cool. Now, how long have you been a teacher? Did you go to school to become a teacher, or where did, where did that kind of come from?
1: Honestly, I, I've always felt like MacGyver, so I switched my major like 15, not 15, but it feels like 15. Like now, where'd you go to school? Uh, UL Lafayette, okay. uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, so I, I graduated in general studies because uh-huh. um, I still wasn't sure what I went to after college. Um, and then I did retail management for a little bit. And I always thought about being a teacher. Um, I always thought it matched my personality a little bit. Sure. And uh, I took the certification to uh, become one. And I mean, this is my fourth year. So uh, I'm glad I made the change.
0: Now, before you went into college, what did you have like your your headset on? Like, what were you going to do? Like, I'm little Mark and I'm when I grow up, I'm going to be. What, what were you going to do?
1: You know, it's crazy. I was t- talking to my sister the other day, and I was like, you know, growing up, I never said I wanted to do this, this, or this. I said I wanted to be a good dad. And I said, if I could go back and visit little Mark, I'd be like, dude, like, that's great. Like, you know, you could be a lawyer, or you know? Right, yeah. Um, so I, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I think I'm a, I've am at least succeeded in that right. I'm, I'm a pretty decent dad, so. Well,
0: hey, you know, that's that's half the battle nowadays. I mean, you know that I've got... Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, I've got three children, uh, so I've got t- uh, a toddler and a baby and then one that's getting ready to go to uh, third grade, so he's a rising third grader, and. It's just, you know, when I was younger, I mean, I'm not that old, I'm only 32, but when I was younger, I never imagined having three children. I just didn't. I mean, it's one of those things where you think one day I'm going to, you know, kind of follow in society and I'll do the whole thing about, you know, I'll do the dating scene and then I'll get married and then we'll be married for a while and then maybe we'll have children and then have children. You have the house with the white picket fence, you know, that, that, that American dream. American dream. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, it's, (laughs) they don't tell you about all this, the fluff in between.
1: They don't, they don't. Now, how old are your kids? Uh, let's see, I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old, so I have a rising uh, potty trainer, I guess. Yeah. Usually, no, yeah, I, yeah but I, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome.
0: It keeps you busy, right? Oh,
1: busy is like the understatement. Between the kids at school, kids at home, the wife—like, I, I. That's why I'm bald. Just you can't see me, but
0: <laughs> so you know, I, I read something uh, earlier this week, and it was it was pretty funny. It was it was along the lines of, um, in fact, it was from Ben Rector. Um, I don't know if you know Ben Rector or not. I'm actually going to try to pull it up. Um, let's see here. He just released a new um, a, a new record, or it's coming out rather in June, and he he's a really cool guy. Like he was single, and then you know did this whole thing out of college, acoustic songwriter. And I got to find, I'm going to actually find it. It's right here. And I'm going to read this because it's pretty cool. So Ben Rector said this. He said, uh, the record for brand new came to a fitting end at the end of the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. Um, after a dizzying ride through New York City, we pulled past the cameras, turned the corner, and a man with the headset told me to get off the float. After more than a decade, in constant forward motion, tour to tour, album to album, the parade was over. And, you know, like, th- I'm going to stop there and kind of dwell on that for a minute. Like, the parade could really be looked at in a couple different couple different scents right there, right? And so he goes on to say, it was quiet. I was quiet. I was tired. His wife was pregnant at the time. It was the end of a chapter. Um, and then I guess when he sat down to write again, he said, I was overwhelmed with nostalgia. And he said, I've been so busy running forward that I hadn't taken the time to look back. And when I look back, I saw the magic and where I came from, the magic in being young and naive. And this is the part that really hit home for me, and I've been thinking about this for the last couple days. Nostalgia can make you think that the magic, in quotes, part of life has come to a close. But as I've watched my daughter's first few months in the world, I've realized that there's not only magic in where we come from, but also where we are and where we're going. And he said, he ends the, the whole quote with, I hope this record captures that. And so I wanted to talk to you kind of about that, because I think you and I are in a very similar role. We're very similar in age Um, you know, we've got multiple children, married, kind of living the dream, big boy jobs and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, for me, you know, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be on tour. I wanted to do that. And, you know, I did a little bit of that and, you know, now, you know, you come home and it's a routine. So tell me like how, what are your thoughts on something like that?
1: (sighs) That's a lot. Um, I kind of like what you said about the nostalgia and it's not, um, like not necessarily the best years of your life are behind you. They, they really could be, you know, ahead or all the things that you may have gone through, uh, kind of lead you to the moment where you are now. Uh, if, if I could share a little bit of my story. Yeah.
0: Please do. Uh,
1: I'm also in the, in the army reserves. Uh, I went through a deployment for a year. Um, now where'd you go? I went to Southern Iraq. Okay. That's another thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly out of out of, of high school, so I joined the reserves. I was still serving, actually, so, so 16 years. So going to Iraq was an incredibly tough experience for me uh, from a personal standpoint, just, you know, emotionally, uh, relationships back home. And then coming back, um, uh, I got married probably too soon, and then I ended up getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And if you'd ask me then, uh, it was probably the most, uh, it made Iraq look like a cakewalk. Really? Um uh, yeah, the divorce. Um emotionally, or? Emotionally, yeah, absolutely. Um so then time progressed, um and then probably during that time I would look back and it looked like like from a nostalgia standpoint, everything good in my life was it's I can look back to maybe childhood, maybe high school cuz there was nothing good about uh in the space I was in. Sure. And then I kept living and strangely enough I reunited with my ex-wife at the time and now she's my current wife. So, um
0: isn't is isn't that, that phrase, if you love something, let it free, and if, if if it's true love, it'll come back?
1: Well, I completely relinquished her, and I let her free. Yep. So, to that to that statement's truth. It's absolutely right. Um, yep. Uh, in fact, we just got married a couple of days ago, actually. Made it official,
0: official. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here.
1: <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Uh, made an honest woman out of her, and uh, I wanted to set an example for my kids, and, uh, you know, be the family man that I, I grew up seeing, uh, and I still see.
0: Dude, that's a tremendous. That, that gives me goosebumps. That's a tremendous story because you know I'm sure you can relate as well. In high school, you know, you think you've met the love of your life, and you think that this is going to be it, and you think that you know, oh, this is th- this is it, and I'm going to put all my plans on hold, and I'm not going to do anything else. And it's it's it, you you learn very quickly that that's not what it is, and you learn very quickly that. Through those times and through those emotional times, you're really just preparing yourself for true love. Right. And it's kind of like you're going through school at the time emotionally. I mean, you're going through school to obviously learn your academics, but I also think that going through school, you're learning emotionally how to deal with real life.
1: Yep. I think, like, all the, like, heartbreaks all the disappointments all like downfalls they lead you up to a moment where you're like wow Um, even if it's not relationship speaking even if it's occupationally speaking like this leads me or led me to this moment that I'm experiencing now so you can kind of look back and see if there was like um there was something working that led that um that was necessary
0: so I gotta ask you the what was uh what was more emotionally uh gratifying getting married the first time to her or the second
1: the second time okay why Um, because I knew it was exactly what I wanted. I I knew, I knew what it was like to, to, to be lonely, uh, to be without. Um, and if you look at it from like an aesthetic standpoint, the, the first wedding was this enormous, like dog and pony show. And it was, it was there for everyone else. And it wasn't for us. And, uh, this time, and, and it was at the courthouse and I don't know if you ever go into the jail in Charlotte.
0: I try to stay out, I try to stay out of the jail, but, you know. But you have to <laughs> So I, that,
1: I, that's in the back of my mind. But when you walk into, like, the justice of the peace, you have to go through, like, the bookings and then take a left. So I'm like, oh, this is...
0: Uh, Symbolic in a yeah, way.
1: you know, like ball and chain. Yeah, yeah. This way. Um, it, it was just real bare bones. But it meant, it, it, it was everything to see my kids uh, look at me to, to, you know, make the vows. So you
0: brought and, your children with you. Yeah. You so know, who all was there?
1: So it was... My sister in law, brother in law, uh, my son Maxwell, and my daughter McKenna, and obviously uh, Jennifer. Um, So definitely the second time. Like I, I don't remember waking up the next day uh, when I got married the first time, but I I remember like specifically. Well, it was only a day ago, but waking up, I felt like um, a little bit more complete. Like like um, I know what I have to do.
0: Like that piece of the puzzle had been completed.
1: Right. Like I don't want to. I don't want to go back to um, where I used to be. Sure. So I'm going to do everything I can to to keep this moment. I don't know that's easier said than done, but I have experience on both sides of the coin. Yeah, I know that I feel so much better here, so much more complete here than I did uh, before.
0: Now, that might be the costliest marriage (laughs) because you got married the first time, then the divorce goes through and then you get married the second time. So. But you know, I think uh, in a way, from what we're speaking about, it sounds like emotionally was what really kind of oh, overtook that. But no, that's awesome. I, c- I commend you about that. Especially um, those of you who don't know, Mark is uh, African American, which is really cool. And now, is your wife is she African American?
1: Yeah, she definitely I- identifies uh, as African American. I mean, sometimes if you look from the outside, and you may not, you may not think, yeah, so, but she's definitely percentage uh, black and uh, and white as well.
0: How does that how does that play into factor, especially in, you know, raising your children? And, you know, you've you've mentioned how you really want to provide this great example for your for your children. How does that how does being a man of color in today's society play a factor in raising your children?
1: Well, I think we, we ultimately um, we're God fearing people. Um, the, the Bible and what God says is definitely paramount in our home. So like God is love. Um, we treat people as uh, we want to get treated, but we're not—we're not, you know, doormats or anything like that. Right. You know, my son's only four, um, so we can't have a talk about. Our, our our talks are very surface, I guess. But I mean, that's kind of like our, our guiding principle. You know, God's love, treat everybody the way you want to get treated, and uh, every every moment is a, a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think in the house we we have some African American art. We have. Some things that, you know, um, to show that we're proud of who we are. Um, And we just try to, I guess, live our life parallel to the teachings of the Bible.
0: Sure. Now, do you think at Maxwell's age, you said he was four, right? you don't, do you think Maxwell at his age in today's society and what he's seen outside of the house and, you know, at church and being, um, with his friends and other friends and family members, do you think Maxwell knows or identifies as uh, a boy of color? Do you think, do you think he knows, or do you think he has that, um, that childlike innocence where he, that doesn't, it's not even something that crosses his brain because he just sees everybody as everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think he, he doesn't, he doesn't know anything yet. He's not, and we, when the time comes and when the situation dictates, that's when you know we'll interject and say, "Hey, this is what's going on." But I think we've been intentional in you know the, the church we go to, uh, Mosaic, is one of the most diverse places I've ever been, and we know church is probably the most um, um, segregated place in America. The irony of that, but our church is not. So when Max goes to church. He sees people who looks like him. Um, he sees um, you know white people. He sees like like. Every color of the rainbow he sees, uh, it's almost like everyone's represented. Um, So I don't think he's had time to notice that he's different because he's not like everybody around in his space is different.
0: And I think that's something that we can learn too as fathers, you know what I mean? Especially, I mean, obviously I don't know that side of the, of the spectrum. I'm on the other side, Um, you know, being an all white family and, and so my children, I can tell you, they, they Zoe, who is four or three, rather, um, she is getting to the point where, you know, she's so innocent, but she's not afraid to voice what her questions are. And I think as, you know, obviously fathers and being strong fathers, we need to be able to answer those questions appropriately and so Absolutely. forth. And so it's very neat to stand back and watch her as she grows up and she starts to, identify certain things as different, but that's nothing that's ever come up to her. Um, you know, she does have um, some children of color in her classroom and that's, ne- she's never asked daddy why are they black? Sure. And I think that's awesome and I think, you know, kind of going back from a biblical sense as well the, the have faith like, chi- like a child sure. I think that's something how we can live like as well. Um, I think we're so wrapped up in this current society of, okay, that man just robbed someone and he's black so now the whole black race is at fault. And it's the same thing of, okay, well, this white police officer killed this black man for no reason, so all white cops or all cops are bad. And I think if we take the approach from our children that we don't look at color, that we look at the actual... Event that's happening. Color is really negated at that point. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree I think that sometimes it's easy to fall victim to the world's narrative um, I remember in school. I, I looked up the statistics of like, you know, jail population and all that and you know, there is a big disparity um, like per capita like of African-Americans and other races in the jail. But I think you know Blacks. At the time I looked, it was like 40 to 45%, but the majority of people in jail um, were, I think, Caucasian, but no one, no one ever says that. Right? We, it's a narrative of the world. But
0: that statistic's not good to everyone. That's right. To the, That's right. to the American dream. That, that looks like a bad statistic right. at that point.
1: We have to continue the, the narrative that people know, and, and you kind of have to seek uh, truth or seek clarity. But I also think that speaks to the power of good parenting, um, which shows how innocent children are. Where do they get these notions from? Or the ideas. Or or racism, right? right? It shows it doesn't come from them. It's like learned. It's what they see. Right. So I have to just make sure I do my best or we do our best to show him um, the best that we can.
0: Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So so going kind of backwards a little bit. So when you were in the army in, in southern Iraq, tell me a little bit about that. Like what was your role in the army and... And and what did you what are were you doing out there?
1: Yeah, so uh, I joined the army as a fifty two Delta. It's just a power generation repair. So initially, um, just generators, like army generators. Um, But a lot of the power, well, all the power, as far as I'm I'm concerned, was handled uh, from civilian um, in a civilian capacity. So I worked in a motor pool, like just working on um, kind of large army trucks, vehicles, and things like that. So essentially, it was like an army garage. Uh, similar hours, sometimes 8 eight to 5, maybe sometimes 8 to, to 7. Uh, the vehicles that were used to transport things around the post, uh, we would just work on those.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you weren't even in, like, you were in, a, like, a battle capacity. Sure, But sure. you were right. an intricate part to help that, you know, kind of the, the chain of commands.
1: Right, right. More of a support role. I mean, there was another role where we kind of escorted local nationals onto the post um, almost— um, we gave them meaningful tasks to keep them um, occupied. I guess from our standpoint, if I'm with you, then you're not devising a plan to hurt us. Do you
0: ever feel like your life was in danger being over there? Or what, what was kind of going through your head? Let's actually maybe back up. So you, you get the deployment notification that you're being deployed. And then I'm assuming you get on this big cargo plane with the rest of your troop or That's the rest accurate. of your... Yeah. And so tell me about what was going through your head on that flight out. Like a, the, the plane is going down the runway at 150 miles an hour and those wheels leave the ground. Like what, what goes through your head on your first deployment on something like that?
1: Anxiety um, from the time that the wheels, you know, um, raise to the time they're lowered, Because you only know what you've seen from a media standpoint. and You've right. seen some pretty gruesome stuff. Um, so I didn't know exactly what our mission was. I knew what it was, but I didn't know what role I played in that. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, kind of one of the first nights we touched down, you know, a mortar landed about 50 yards away, and there was an explosion, the alarms were going off, and I was like, oh, uh, I guess this is it. That's what I felt. Um, It wasn't always like that, but mortar fire was definitely something, their method of choice as far as, so um, I just remember... Those were my closest closest moments to God because I, I didn't know what else to do.
0: So at that point, were there times, or maybe during that time frame, but as your time progressed, now how long were you out there? A year, a year. So over the course of this year, were there times where you hit like all time lows, and you then there were times where you're like, this is not so bad, I could deal with this.
1: Yeah, you know, there's. I think both of those are pretty accurate. Um, Um. I think it, I forget the the uh, hour difference but maybe 8 to 10 maybe even more you know trying to communicate um those were tough because as either we were um waking up um you all in the states were going to sleep so that, that was tough and I didn't always get a chance to come and call and uh, my relationships broke down so then I couldn't deal with it I I, I was a world away so emotionally that was tough um So yeah, I think I got to my lowest point, but at my lowest point is when we looked around and you, you've heard the term band of brothers. Yes. Um, I had a support system there.
0: That's good. Sounds like maybe if you didn't have that, that would have just been a mess. You'd have been in the desert kind of on a horse with no name. essentially. Uh, Uh,
1: (laughs) I think we all served as like that shoulder for each, because we all dealt with something. But I remember we all knew who we could talk to in that time. Yeah. So it's like in our time of crisis, we came together as a, a real family.
0: That's cool because essentially what you're doing is you're putting your whole your whole life here in the states on hold. I mean, it's kind of like hit the pause button. I'm going to go off for a year and I'm going to come back and hopefully something that picks up. And it's 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 almost unrealistic.
1: Yeah, no, it's tough because I remember coming home and and uh, essentially hitting play and being frustrated because people would joke about things that I had no idea what was going on, you know, and, and you think about the, the memories that were made without you and experiences that were had. Um, it, it was tough to kind of reintegrate. It almost made Iraq seem easy because yeah. everything, you know, was, was um, everything that you did was kind of dictated like beforehand, like right. you had a super set schedule. Yeah. Then when you got back, you were like,
0: okay. There's no set schedule. I'm setting the schedule at that point. So what year did you go to Iraq? Two thousand five. Okay, so three years ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh five, no. Five. No, I was two thousand five. Th- that's right. Thirteen years ago. Yeah. 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 Gosh, it seems like forever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that's crazy. I mean, it's it's interesting to get your perspective of someone. I've never even traveled out of the country. So, you know, here I am wanting to go to, like, the Keys. And, you know, your first time probably out of the country. Was it your first time out of the country for that trip uh, or no? It,
1: it wasn't. Thankfully, my parents, they um, supported uh their children's endeavors. So I remember I wanted to go to France in uh, 11th grade okay. and my mom was like, yeah, we can make it happen. So I'd been to France, uh, before I went to Iraq.
0: Oh, okay. Now did your parents, did they travel? Tell me a little bit about that. Did they travel? Did you guys travel as a family, like internationally as a kid or?
1: We didn't travel internationally. We traveled domestically. I feel like all over the place. Um, I can, uh, you know, New York, um, California, just, we traveled all over the place. Um, they were big on it. They wanted to make sure we saw as many things as possible. Um, and I think that's why we do the same thing as a family now. We try to see as many things as we can.
0: Now, did you grow up in Louisiana?
1: I did. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Do you think
0: you'll ever go back? Uh, To visit. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, Laura
1: Willen, what's all said and done, maybe retire there. But, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. My parents actually relocated to Mississippi now, so... um. I'd more likely go back there than to Baton Rouge.
0: So now you, I I think you were telling me that you're actually getting ready to move. So you're currently in North Carolina and you're getting ready to move. Is that right?
1: Yeah, going back to Houston, Texas.
0: Houston, Texas. Come on, Houston. There you go. So you originally, so you went from Louisiana and then stayed there for college. And then when you left Louisiana, went to Iraq for a little bit and then came back. And then did you live in Houston? How did you end up in Houston the first time?
1: So, uh... So my wife's name's Jennifer, so everybody knows. Um, in the time that I w- was deployed, um, Jennifer was graduating. So when, she came, when I came back, essentially, I moved to uh, be with her. Okay. And she was in Texas, in Beaumont. Gotcha. Um, stayed there for a year. And then we, um, her job moved her to Houston. Okay. So I was able to, my job was a pretty smooth transfer. So we were in Houston. Great. So that kind of, we just kept on moving west. Yeah. And then from Houston, she got another transfer to Charlotte. And, yeah. and uh, here we are. And then now you're going back. Yeah, I guess I wasn't finished with this yet, and I'm going to roll with it, you know?
0: Yeah, are you excited?
1: Uh, I am excited because it's not, it's not, essentially it's... We hit pause, now we're hitting play.
0: Yeah, it's not uncommon ground for you. I mean, are, are you going back to the same city and everything? Or?
1: I, I literally said if I could go
0: back to the same house.
1: Yeah. If, so if you, if you happen to hear this, people in um, our old neighborhood, I need you to give us the house back. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: can you guys go ahead and uh, listen to this podcast, which would be great. Uh, and then if uh, if you do listen to the podcast, go ahead and uh, just go ahead and put your house up for sale. Please, but but privately. Yeah, just, let's just, do us. A, yeah just do a little private sale for sale by owner. And then um, just reach out to me and I'll get you in contact. Contact with Mark, and it'd be a really smooth transaction. I'm sure you you could probably get a uh, a nice price on it, and he'd probably pay it.
1: I I would totally pay it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the crazy part about the housing market right now. And you guys are renting, or or do you guys have a house here?
1: Yeah, we're we're renting now. We weren't quite sure what we wanted to do when we got here. You know, I paid um,
0: off. Yeah. F- I, I, hey, I think everything happens for a reason. It does. It, it does. does. I mean, God has a plan, my friend. Well, that'll be cool. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming by and and all that fun stuff. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting, obviously, journey for you as you continue on. Now, you're still in the reserve, so will you continue that on in Houston as well? Or
1: I will. Um, I think the fact that I we just left, like I still have, you know, some contacts back there. Right. I kind of started the ball rolling, like, hey, I'm coming back. Could you find a slot for me? So I'm definitely going to continue. I've been in for 16 years now. Okay. So four more to make 20. There'd be no reason for me to stop now. Right. Nice. So
0: now at 20, is that, the, is that the cusp for retirement to be able to kind of, I don't want to say reap the benefits, but right. essentially reap benefits?
1: Yeah. And the reserve is a little bit different. You, you don't get like the instant pay okay. um, uh, um, as if you did like 20 years active. Gotcha. But 20 years does like, it locks you in. So I mean, there's no reason for me to stop now. Are the
0: kids excited to go back or do they not under really understand?
1: They don't because Maxwell was like telling people we're leaving and you're going to be sad. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right, man. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, they will. But yeah, they're going to be tell- Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't grasp it yet, but I think he remembers just enough and the people that he remembers, he's excited to go back
0: and see. Well, that will be good. At least he was old enough to remember kind of that and, but not here long enough to know to really get those real strong bonds, right? Well, that'd be cool. Now you're a huge soccer fan, right? A uh, huge soccer fan. <laughs> and who's your team?
1: Tottenham Hotspur, English Premier League. Now how third.
0: did a black gentleman from Louisiana become a soccer fan, and you or know, should I say, football?
1: Well, football. Thank you for clarifying <laughs>
0: that. Um,
1: honestly, it was it's kind of during the divorce. Uh, I needed something to do. Uh, started watching soccer. There was a local. Um. um cool thing about English Premier League teams, they have soccer um, like fan clubs that are okay. officially recognized. Oh, wow. And they're all throughout the the, the country. Okay. Um, Charlotte has one. Uh, Houston has a great one. So I just happened to watch uh, Tottenham's games, and I took a liking to a couple of the players, and I started to research it a little bit, and then I started playing FIFA on, on the Xbox, and I was like, man, I like this team. Then I bought a jersey, and it was like a chain effect. And yeah. then I was like, oh, they have a club, or a supporters club in Houston. I'm going to go I joined, I met the most incredible people who shared an interest just like me. Yeah. Similar. So that's, yeah. Yeah. From that. And, and, uh, it's, it's amazing. Like
0: it's, um, it's an addiction. Yeah. It's a, it's a healthy, positive addiction. Now do you still stay in contact with some of those club members down in Houston? Like have they become good, good friends of yours or tell me about the relationships with that.
1: I will say, um, I, I got a buddy named Austin and we don't talk as often as we, we used to, but, um, he's definitely a connection. Like we're always on Twitter. Um, he he has a, a podcast too. I try to support it when I can. Oh, cool. Like he, uh, um, so shout out to Austin if you ever listen, man. I appreciate you, love you, buddy. I'm coming back. We're gonna we're gonna be in that number again. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>
0: Well, that's cool, because I mean, kind of touching upon that is, is, you know, as obviously grown adults, and we're both in a spot that we didn't go to school in, we didn't go to college in, you know, it's, it's I, I think for me, especially, especially having children, I think it's hard to meet other guys in a very common ground atmosphere, you know, you think of your typical guy meeting someone to hang out with, he's going to go one to the bar, or he's going to go to the gym, and you know, with children, those aren't really places that we're at very often.
1: No, I 100% agree. I was telling uh, a buddy the other day, I mean, at, at this point in our lives, like, a a guy has to check those boxes for us to go, like, I say the next step, like we're dating. But to an extent, like, if we're a, right. forging a relationship, yeah. I mean, like, if... I'm in church with my kids and my family on Sunday, and then I'm working during the week. I only have a certain amount of like time to spend with myself, and I don't I don't want to do something I'm uncomfortable with. Right. So you kind of need to do the same or you know, like the same things that, or, or and be a decent person too. Right. Because if I have to be like, oh man, I'm not really, you know, I. At this point, I don't have time for that. I just, you know, like we we have to share some common grounds in order for us to build like a a, a, rela- a bro man. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, you're exactly right, and it's tricky. And you know, my wife and I talk about this sometimes too. And it's like it's really difficult. Like I'm a very outgoing person. Obviously, I'm doing a podcast, <laughs> um, but I'm a very outgoing person, and so it's difficult for me sometimes to like go up to people. And be like, you want to be my friend? Like I feel like I'm a, I'm in fourth grade again. Where like, hey, you're playing with a soccer ball, and I've done that before. Like we can be friends, and then you just start being friends. And I think there's that common ground of trying to find that common ground. And I was actually talking with a coworker of mine the other day, and he um, he's fairly younger. He's coming out of or coming into his twenties, and you know, no children, out of school, career, single, like you know what we were doing right, when we were in our twenties. Right, right. And, uh, he, he asked me, he's like, you know, what are you up to this weekend, man? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what's going on. I was like, maybe we could get together. And he's like, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And then, you know, the conversation kept on and then we were going to lunch later that day and we're walking down, uh, one the streets of uptown Charlotte, I work down in Uptown and, uh, We saw this big banner, and um, here in Charlotte, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Charlotte market, um, we have a big NASCAR race that comes, well, two of them, I guess, the All-Star race, and then we have the Coca-Cola 600, I guess it is, and it comes every year at the end of May on Memorial Day weekend, which is just like the worst timing ever, unfortunately. And so with that, um, they have this event that kind of leads up to it um, called Speed Street. And essentially what they do is... Are you familiar with it?
1: I'm I, So I like soccer guys. I'm not sure. I'm learning <laughs> just like y'all are. I'm not so so sure.
0: essentially what they do is they bring in like these bands and they take over Uptown Charlotte and they put on like free concerts essentially for everybody. It gets really rowdy. Everybody's drinking and partying and have a good time. And so it's just... You you know, it's, it's to welcome kind of the guests to Charlotte and give them something to do while they get here early before they go to the NASCAR race. So with that said, um, we're walking up the street and I see one of the banners and on Thursday night, cause that's when it starts, um, Judah and the lion is playing. Okay. And so I don't know if you've ever heard their so, music before, but they are amazing. Yeah, that song,
1: I'll take it all back. That's right. Yeah. I love it, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so my wife and I actually saw them kind of circling full circle back to Ben Rector. We actually got introduced to Judah and the lion cause they toured with Ben Rector and we're huge Ben Rector fans And so we came out to see them And saw Jude and the Lion as a bonus And we walked away with a no favorite band And it was really awesome It was a great time But so we see this banner And it says Jude and the Lion's coming And I got so excited I got out my phone I Facetime my wife And I'm like, Jess, you gotta see who's coming And she's like, oh my goodness That's so great blah, 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 You know, super excited So 22-year-old Nick Let's rewind it back 10 years 22-year-old Nick would have been like We're going to that Right But 32-year-old Nick, present-day Nick, is like... uh, And so my buddy looks at me and he's like, oh, are you going to take your wife to that? Are you going to go? And I said, I would love to take her to go, but do you realize that I would have to start doing and arranging that now? You have to do it now, that's right. And so it's one of those things where I feel like the older you get, the more intentional you have to be about your time. No, I 100% agree. And and I really would love to go to that. But, I mean, with children, as you know, you've got the babysitter. So you've got you've to not only pay for that, but you've got to schedule that far out in advance. Yeah. You've got to figure out your ride situation because, you know, you're going to probably participate in a couple of alcoholic right. beverages. That's right. Loosen up a little bit. No kids. And so I'm not driving that night. So now I'm looking at transportation there and back. And then you've got to worry about, okay, am I going to be out too late? Are the kids getting into bed? You know, you've got that responsibility. And so as we get older, and that's kind of why I was asking you about the question about like meeting friends and stuff. It's like you almost have to find friends that are in the same walk of life for you to really understand what's fun. What do you think about that?
1: no, I a hundred percent agree um i was I, when you were talking, I was thinking how like they say you know iron sharpens iron like yeah. you have to get a combat- a compatible piece of iron so that it can sharpen you the, the, the right way because if you don't it's like you're not it just doesn't work it right. doesn't work i i was thinking i heard um a preacher say like Christianity is not a individual sport, right? Yeah. It, it, it takes uh community. It takes right? a village to it race. Takes a village. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't get someone with like the right mindset and just, and go, kind of going through the things, the same thing you're going through, like it's, it's not a, as productive um, a relationship as it could be. Yeah. you know, And not
0: saying that you can't obviously be friends sure. or have friendships with sure. people that aren't in the same walks of life. Sure. You. But I think that, you know, being a closer friend or a closer, um, even, you know, as family, you know, my best friend and I, we've been friends since, oh gosh, I moved here in, two, in to Charlotte in 2005 and I went back to New England where I'm from, go Sox. And uh, I came back in 2006 because my family had moved down beforehand, and I tried it out. And I just didn't really like it. But then I came back, um, and when I realized that winters suck in New England, I hear you. And yeah, so, I you. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know what? I can get an air conditioning, get used to that jive, So I'll do that instead of shoveling snow for you know ten months out of the year. So, um, you know, coming back down, um, got a job working in uh, technology, which is what I'm in now, and that's where I met my best friend. And you know, in our relationship in the beginning. We had that common ground of technology, and we both were single men in Charlotte. And it sounds just like what you were saying about, like, dating almost. It's kind of like, are you a Pisces? I'm Right. A I mean, you got you to gotta find out. <laughs> you got to find Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it makes me think of, like, Flavor Flav. You know what I mean? Like, he's always, like, trying to do stuff like that. So, anywho, um, so we become acquaintances of, and, you know, in that environment that we were in, we weren't really we weren't really jiving because here's the thing like he was a superior to me and it just it, we we had our undergoing relationship of being friends outside of work but when it came to work i had to report to him and that was really difficult for me you know looking back and being more mature today like that was very difficult for me because i thought maybe i had that friend card and so we want or we fast forward rather and we're now at 2018 so it's been 12 years right. so here i am meeting this person that's not from north carolina i'm not from north carolina we just find the common ground that we work together, and t- to this day, I mean, he's my best friend. One day I will have him on the podcast if I can get him on, but he, um, he's just a great guy, but here's the thing of kind of circling back of, you know, finding those people that iron sharpens iron. Him and his wife have no children, but they they have the having children mentality, yeah. So it's like they don't have children, but they think like people who do have children. And I think that makes it, you know, very easy.
1: Very easy. And
0: it just makes things simple. Like I could give them a call and be like, hey, man, you guys want to come over and have, you know, a barbecue? If I were to invite one of my friends over that was maybe of younger or even older that didn't have children, and they come over to have a barbecue, and the first minute one of my children starts crying or pulling on me or decides to take all their clothes off and run around and create an awkward situation, it, it makes a situation where it's like they're uncomfortable because they don't know it, and then they're like, well, this isn't something I want to be around. And then we've noticed, my wife and I, that you know, friends that don't have children just there's a speak to me about like would you agree that there's a certain aspect of once you have children your brain just thinks differently
1: Oh absolutely you don't know, I mean when you when you bring your kids anywhere you're not thinking about you you're thinking about them <laughs> Yeah you don't like I can't tell you how many times I've been to a birthday party and I'm like getting my son out of the jungle gym like I'm not it's like you get put in the back seat and your kids are in the forefront um and it's just like conversations are cut off in the middle like mid sentence cuz you know my son's climbed up on something and he's about to fall and hurt himself you right. know so it's just i my mindset it's it's totally different and it's selfless rather than selfish that's right that's right and that's one of the toughest things to explain you know sometimes it's um to some of my friends who don't have kids like for example if i send a text like, hey man kid sick i can't you know and that sounds like an excuse and sometimes you know but it's life right it's life I, and i i just need people to understand like it's it's Ah, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's very tricky. You
0: know, it's, it's funny that you said, you know, calling in and and that sort of thing to work. So my, um, my previous, my previous job to where I'm at now, they were very forgiving about that, which was really awesome. And, and, you know, that was something as I had children and I started to learn, Um, that that was an important thing to ask at job interviews. And so I was in a very corporate environment before and it just wasn't very forgiving. It was the job first and then your family second. And as I got older and as I matured and in both my career and in my personal life, I really realized that, no, it doesn't have to be like that. But then you try to hold fault where, you know, you got to point the finger somewhere. And and I kind of figured it out that it's really goes back to the walk of life. So, when I got my previous job that I'm at now, not that I'm at now, the one that I left, um, that was something that was very important to me. And they were very, very great about that. That's awesome. Um, which was awesome. That was something that, you know, if in the middle of the day my child was throwing up, I, I, it, there's no even asking. You just family first. Right. Which was phenomenal. And so, you know, i tried to better my career a little bit and moved on to something different. And and so my current job, that was like the second question I asked at the interview. And and you know, most people are like, How much am I gonna get paid? How much vacation time do I get? But like that was very important. And where I'm kinda of going with this is that when I ask that, my current boss now, he is absolutely incredible. But here's the part that I think that plays into that. He's in the same walk of life as me. Sure. So he's a little bit older than me, not by much. He also has three children, Christian man, right. lives in the same area, general areas as me compared to where the office is located Um, he, you know, attends a church that my daughter actually attends to, um, go to school at. So we have, and he plays music and long story short, I ended up knowing some of his, some of his family, which was just, it's just this crazy dynamic. But I think because of that walk of life and where you are in that life, you can tend to provide more grace to people. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, no, of course. Because, I mean, I think you empathize, right? Uh-huh. It's easier for you to put someone else's shoe in your foot if it's the same shoe or the same size. Yeah. You know? And I think that's exactly what. you know. Also, I was thinking as you were speaking, um, I, I've heard many people when it's all said and done and they're on their deathbed and none, not one ever said, I wish I would have worked more. Right. you know they always wish they would have spend more time with their family yeah. you know and I think for your mind to be where it is I think that's awesome because like you're gonna like get a real uh, fulfillment out of spending time with with who matters the most
0: I had a friend of mine um, he actually was a old. I don't know if he'd really be my boss, but he was was very high up in the company that I was with. And I used to seek out to him for mentorship. And that was really important to me to have a mentor that was not so far out of reach that it's like a 75-year-old man that I'm trying to seek guidance from. Though I think that you can get wise guidance from someone who has lived exponentially longer than you, I wanted someone just ahead of the finish line of me. And um, when I had a similar situation, this is the same company that um, was not as forgiving with the children incidents and stuff. And I had an incident, and um, I I just didn't know where to turn, but I knew I needed to turn internally. And I went to him, and I said, you know, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? And he said to me, and I will never forget this, and this is very similar to what you just said. He said, Nick, when you die, who's going to be at your funeral? And I'm like, well, that's really morbid to think about. You know, I'm only whatever i was 28 years old at the time and and he goes no think about it when you die who's going to be at your funeral he goes do you think any of us here at your current employment are going to be at your funeral and i said no they're not he said so why are you catering to the to the to the constraints that are well within your reason why are you why are you you know yeah why are you not going ab- above and beyond about that and saying no, I need to tend to my family because at the end of the day, there's going to be my children and my wife. Wa- well, hopefully, my wife. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> hopefully, right. I. Uh, hopefully, she outlives me. Um, are at my graveside. Like those are the people that I want there, right. and the people that were most impactful in my life. Those are the people that I want there, and and it's something that I've always thought of. And I always kind of use in that in my decision making do you have i mean growing up, did you have like a mentor or do you currently have a mentor?
1: Yeah, I was thankful to have i think um like you know you see people with like dads of the Year shirt uh, I <laughs> yeah. feel like my dad like like they got that from him um because I could talk to him and I still can't talk to him about you know anything um I didn't really have to get like a, a best friend like i i would i mean i Around my classroom, I have some of the things that he says. I remember that still apply today. Like yeah. these times, it's like, did you count the cost? So my kids are like, "What are you talking?" They're about? like timeless phrases, right? Like my kids are like, "What cost? Like, what are we like? Is what you're receiving worth what you did?" Right? And I'm like, "That that that works, right?" It does. It applies to everything we do. Yeah. Or he he I know he kind of borrowed this phrase about like um, clucking with chickens versus soaring with eagles. You know, like I've never heard that one. That must be a southern thing. No. Well, I've, I'm just, if you think about it. You got your chickens, right? Chickens are—I don't call them bottom feeders, but I've never eaten eagle. I've never
0: eaten an eagle. I think it's against the law, actually. Well,
1: well I, I mean, it'd be tough to get anyway. Like, right. I, you know. but chickens are readily available because they can't fly. Like, they're just—they're just, they're chickens, right? What they? Um, they're on this earth for food. That's right. Eagles—they they soar. Sorry, Peta. That's okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive us. Um, but it's like, who do you want to be around? Right. right. Look at your look at your surroundings. Are they chickens or are they eagles? Because if they're eagles, you're here. Your vantage point's totally different. Exactly. You're above everything looking down. If you're a chicken, you're here and you attempt to fly but you're not going to get anywhere. Right. You know? So it's just it's it's it, it, from the mentor piece. I I I'm blessed, I'm fortunate to have someone who's like if I went left, he was there to redirect
0: me. Sometimes, you know, uh, a little bit more forcefully than others, but necessary. It got you back on track Absolutely. to where you are today, right? It's kind of the whole road thing. So, I mean, obviously, that's something that for for me, for my children, and this is something my wife believes in tremendously, and I think she's more of an advocate – not to say that I'm not an advocate, but I think this is something that she is very an advocate of. So growing up, my wife was a mentor for some people and I, th- I believe she had one as well. And, you know, my, my wife is a very strong woman. Um, she can be independent. Um, she is extremely intelligent, uh, which is great. And it's, it's nice to have that, but it's also nice to know that you've got somebody else out there. Do you know what I mean? And it, kind of these days, my best friend, um, he's pretty much my mentor. You know, yeah, there's nothing he doesn't know. And there's, there's nothing going on in my life that he, even if he doesn't know the answer, I could call him and say, Hey, uh, I really need to change. Let's just say a flat tire. I know how to change a flat tire. In fact, I actually did that this week for Jessica, um, which was a crazy, set of events. Um, and I could not know how to do that. And his, his direction and his delivery is just so graceful, but so intelligent that it guides me sure. and it may just be the right words that I need to hear that day. And so I think mentorship is just something, especially in, I think, man and female. And I think it doesn't really stop at the younger age. Would you agree? Like, I mean, do you still reach out to your father?
1: Yeah, no, still to this day. I, I think anyone who's run a race um, that you're running, especially now that I'm a father, I'm like, I'm tired. Like, I'm, you know, and I, like, there's so many things that I go through that I can remember that I, I think that he was going through. Right.
0: And I call, he's like, hey, man, this is what I think, you know. And he's right. never, you know. It, it's never the one-all, be-all answer, my answer, or not anybody else's, right? Like, from my experiences, this is what I think.
1: Um, so, I, I, again, I'm just thankful because a lot of the the things that I've gone through, he's already gone through. Right. You know, and I can call him, he's like, yeah, well, this is how I handle it, you know. Yeah. You don't have to do it that way, but from my experiences, this works best. Yeah. So.
0: That's awesome. Well, Mark, I, I really appreciate your time today and, and join being on the first episode of the Nick the Henderson podcast. For those of you who are just uh, joining in and got to hear this whole story from Mark, um, we appreciate you joining in. This is really going to be conversations with conversationalists. Um, I just really want to get to know people. Um, I want a chance to know fathers and, and sons and daughters and mothers and um, people of color and people of different uh you know people just everywhere I mean I think together we come together to become the human race the human race does not look like one color it does not speak one language it does not do one career and so I really with this podcast really want to get a chance to know you know different people um so I definitely appreciate you coming on Thanks and for having uh me. I wish you the best of luck in uh Houston thank you and uh your Yo. and your tots or what are they called
1: oh Tottenham Hotspur
0: Come Tottenham on, you that's right that's right so uh those of you um who joined in we Thank you. And uh, you guys all have a good rest of the day.